Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Right Way to Mother. I am Sasha Xiao. How's your week been since we last spoke? <laughs> Mine has been pretty good, I guess. I'm kind of I'm kind of getting over that cold that was haunting me last week.、Um, feeling like getting my energy back finally.、Uh, I hope you get to enjoy some. You know, beautiful time outdoor because it's getting like warmer. At least from where I am, I don't know where you are tuning in from. But whatever you are, I hope you get to enjoy some quality time. And today, I have a very special episode for you. I know I talk about you know every episode being so special, but today is extra special because I'm joined by two, yeah, not one, but two incredible writers and editors. Jen Sufong Lee and Stacy May Fowles. Jen is joining me from her office in her bedroom in Vancouver, super intimate, and Stacy May joins me from her home in Toronto. They both are not only award-winning writers and editors, but also mothers. So our conversation will be centered around the book "Good Mom on Paper," which just published in May this month, 2022. It was co-edited by both Jen and Stacy May, but this wasn't the first time they worked together. Back in 2019, they actually joined forces to edit another book, "Whatever Gets You Through: Twelve Survivors on Life After Sexual Assault." Similar to that first book they co-edited, this one, "Good Mom on Paper," also is a collection of personal essays and stories. But this time, just as the name suggests. It centers around motherhood and creativity. It contains essays from twenty writers on this topic, and it goes beyond the cliche and to really explore the fraught, beautiful, and complicated relationship between motherhood and creativity. This is such a great conversation, not because. <laughs> I added a lot, but actually because Jen and Stacy may really know how our conversation will flow. As a journalist, they really added a lot of flavor to this conversation. Jen would answer questions before I even asked them, and Stacy May would actually fill in the gap whenever I'm still trying to figure out how to transition to my next question. And they would both ask each other questions and answer them. So it was really easy for me to do my job today as a host. And at some point, I'd kind of just sit back and you know enjoy the conversation between them. You know, isn't that nice? Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this conversation because we definitely talk about Good Mom on paper. How this book come about? Just give me you a little bit spoil alert.、Um, they had over two hundred fifty submissions, so we really get a very good diverse、um, essays that kind of. As Stacy may talk about, kind of break a wall to open up a conversation about what motherhood really looks like, and then especially when you add writing, creativity, and art into the mix, you know, it just become more complicated and definitely doesn't look like anything on Instagram. Yeah, so I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, I'm ready. So one thing I, I found it very interesting is because um, um, 
by joining the the Vancouver Writers Fest, the virtual event you you both were on a couple of weeks ago, I come to I actually got to learn that Jen wasn't the the original idea, original generator. It was actually Stacy was the one that originally you know very back then came up with the idea because Jenny seems like you've been promoting quite a bit and then really being vocal on social media as well. And I, so I thought you were the one kind of bring everybody together on board too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just louder than Stacy me. That's not like yeah. I'm. A, I'm the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy May's my puppeteer. She just holds the strings. <laughs> um, it's so- interesting, though. It's. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things that happened to me when I had a baby was I um, strayed away from social media um, because I. I mean, I. I couldn't handle it anymore. I couldn't yeah. handle, um, I, you know, I was writing about sports a lot. So I, I mean, and Jen, obviously she gets her own brand of toxic social media, but I, you know, there was just a lot of toxicity in the sports world. And I just, you know, I think I took a break, you know, this summer that my daughter was born and then I just sort of never went back. I didn't, there wasn't like a real fanfare about it. It was just kind of like, my life feels a little better Hmm. being not on Twitter. And that was just, you know, I, I learned that like for some people, you know, it's very important to have Twitter in their lives, but for me, it just felt better to stray away. So yeah, it's funny because Jen has been the the Twitter voice of this book. <laughs> I, I should say about social media though, because it's related to being a mom and a working mm-hmm. mom is that when uh, me and my son's father split up, I had a lot of time alone because he, I was, I had at that time primary residency and um, cause he was little. And so after he'd go to bed at like seven 30, I had many hours to fill and Twitter filled that void. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's good coping. Likely not. But that's where, so when, so I had the kind of opposite uh, thing from Stacey May. I didn't really get into social media so much until my marriage was dead and I was a lonely single mother. <laughs> that's so funny. I actually have my own personal experience with social media, kind of like mixed feelings as well. When I was breastfeeding him and he was like a couple months old and then um, I was obviously the only one stay up late. Now thinking back probably shouldn't be the only one but I don't know why I made that choice and then so I was up all night and I felt so scared and lonely because I everything so quiet at night you feel like you're the only person in this whole world exists and then so I would just go through social media and Instagram why he was sucking on my nipple and trying to you know find some sort of connection with someone like virtually so yeah, I feel like that was something I needed in a way to make me feel like less alone in a way. It's kind of weird because social media should actually do the opposite of that. But at that, during that stretch of time, that was the the thing it was doing to me or for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was very heavily into, I shouldn't be some sort of like, I'm off social media saint because I was very into Instagram, <laughs> very. And my algorithm was just just mom Instagram. Like it was, Mm. I was just being constant. And it's so funny. I was so into it that I still get the like baby recommended posts. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm long past that now, but I still get them because I was so heavily hitting those reels. (laughs) (laughs) You're still engaging the the algorithm thing. Like you still, you know, interacting with it. So how old are your kids? 
Because that's, that's something I, I actually don't know. Uh, my son will will be turning will be turning twelve in three weeks. Wow! Yeah, and my daughter just turned four, so she's going to school this fall. Oh, yeah! Wow, big days, big days, big days. Yes, yeah. So I guess we can start with Stacy because you through that virtual event again. You kind of talk about this book came born out of frustration of you particularly in the beginning that you felt like you couldn't write anymore. And so maybe you can take us over there. I, mean, I know that's like four years ago now, but. Oh no. Any, yeah. like, it's, I mean, it still feels very fresh. <laughs> it still feels super fresh. And the frustrations still feel very fresh. Right. Um, Tell us yeah, more. I mean, the, the more I think about it, the more I think about, I mean, it sounds really dramatic, but um, Jen sort of saved me during that time. <laughs> because we, you know, I signed, a, we signed a contract to do um, a, an anthology together, um, whatever gets you through. And I got pregnant during the process of, of working on that anthology. And the book came out when my daughter was about one year old. So mm. it's basically the, the gestation of that book was, was very similar to me becoming a mother. And I, I found that, you know, about a month before my due date, I just couldn't work anymore. It, it was almost as if my mind just didn't work. And what it, I just couldn't grasp the things that I used to be able to care about. And, and, you know, we, we did the book and then we were promoting the book and I, I felt very adrift. I felt very lost and I felt things, you know, I felt like I just couldn't do the things that I used to do. And Jen was very reassuring. She was very much like, it will come back. It will all come back. You know, right now you just need to do the things that you need to do to keep this tiny person alive and yourself alive and it will come back. And through that, you know, what for me was a bit of a dark time, um, Jen and I sort of conceived of this new collection to sort of open up a discussion about um, writers and creativity and and motherhood. And, you know, because we felt like there were certain aspects of that experience that weren't being talked about out in the open. So, yeah, that's, such as- you know, I said... Oh, such as. <laughs> Jen, do you, what, do you want to tackle such as? <laughs> So smooth oh, you're the transition. Me. Such yes, as. where yes, did such as. was such as I think Stacy just like passed on the mic to you. Well, I think one of the main things, like for for um, me, is that what when we don't talk about issues of how we um, sustain a creative life and motherhood, um, is that we don't know what we can ask for like from work or from, you know, contracts or from gigs from or whatever, anything that we're doing. Um, and that is like sort of the the crux of the the problem for me is, you know, we like every time I've done like an interview and they're like, what can we do to make it better for mothers who are creative? And we, like I always say, childcare. But also mm. the other thing, too, is that if women or mothers are talking to each other about this stuff, then we know what we can ask for. Right. We know what a reasonable fee is. We know what a per diem might look like if it includes childcare. We know. And I think that that kind of thing um, is, you know, one of the things that we'd like to, we, we do talk about in private, but if we do it in public, that makes um, a greater number of mothers more um, able to sustain their creativity, which is sort of my goal, because I think that motherhood can also generate creativity. That's really interesting and, and valuable that we all need to see. And we don't want them 
mothers to be silent because when mothers are silent, what happens? You get something that happens like, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll add to what Jen said. I, you know, I had this experience and I, I've, you know, been talking about this particular experience a lot as we've been talking about the book, but um, you know, my daughter was born on February 18th and on March 20th, I was contractually obligated to do an audiobook recording in a studio mm-hmm. and I had a particularly difficult birth. So there were injuries pertaining to that birth that made it difficult wow. to, you know, walk. And I remember like the sheer amount of effort it took me to go and go to the studio and sit on the stool and, you know, record this audiobook was, it was frankly ridiculous. And the one thing I really remember from that experience, you know, I, I wanted to prove that I could do it, which says a lot about why, why, why was it so important that I had to prove that I could do this thing? Because I think I felt like there was a lot of pressure to bounce back career wise, mm. to be right back in the thick of it. But I have this memory of this um, woman who worked at the publisher who was so understanding and so kind and are you okay? Are you going to be okay doing this? And nobody else at any point had said anything along those lines. And she was so worried about me and I've never forgotten it. Like I've never, and I feel like that energy, we need more of that energy, you know, that sort of not you can do it energy, but you don't have to do it. Energy is probably, you know, (laughs) we should tap into that more. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be this kind of, you can do all the things immediately. You don't have to do all the things immediately. Um, and I just have never forgotten that woman um, and her voice in my head saying, you can just go lie down if you want. <laughs> That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's the kind of the productivity we kind of are expected to produce and then to um, and also, as you mentioned about Spacey, kind of bounce right back to where you were before um, that kind of expectation from ourselves and also from the media, from, from the media as well. Cause I remember before, I think it was more about like the body, um, image before and now it's uh, gradually switching to work and, and kind of identity. But before, I think there's a lot of like, you know, back to social media or media a narrative about like, uh, people give birth and then the next week or something and then their body is like bounced right back to where it was to used to. So I think so unrealistic expectation kind of like just shadowing all over us. And then I remember then the, the virtual event going back to that event, um, Kelly was also referring to the separation kind of like rem- reminded me of that, that show she talked about severance. Also, it, it's very true as well. It's a, that division, that separation from one and another. So I wonder beyond child life, child care, like what other things that women or what mom particularly can actually help out each other to, you know, to, to talk more, sometimes kind of like put less. So, more conversation can happen than maybe less expectation we can force upon ourselves in a way. Well, I think that there's like, um, as you were saying, there's a real expectation for productivity and also perfection, both of those things, particularly. And I think the, you know, um, Instagram in particular is really bad for that, particularly for the mom stuff. Like I find Instagram really difficult for, um, 
the mom influencer type of stuff because it's just annoying to me. I mean, like, mm -hmm. do I group the art supplies by color? No, they're in a dirty pile in the bottom of a drawer. <laughs> they're not even in a drawer. Let's be honest. But um, mm -hmm. it's just, I think, I would like that if Good Mom on Paper gets a wide enough audience that, and I think what's really special about it is how honest each of those essays are and how honest each of those authors are. And I would like that to translate into conversations that we're having. And obviously so many of the conversations that we're having are occurring online. Um, and if, if there was some magic way that that honesty could translate into that sort of like, vision of perfection that we see all the time I would love mm -hmm. that and I and I think that would be really great I've never felt so low on myself as I did when I would started seeing these things because I thought they were real like you know 10 years ago or whatever I didn't know that those Instagram posts were staged or whatever because I was a newbie um but I felt so terrible because like I didn't mm. look like that my house didn't look like that my kid didn't look like that like you know whatever I potty trained my child and I did this this and this and they were out of diapers at like 11 months old fuck off <laughs> like, <laughs> My child just hid, hid behind the living room curtains and took a dump on the floor, okay? like I remember story. having this experience when I was like following <laughs> a, an influencer on Instagram. Mm. And I think her baby was like 10 months old. And she confessed she had a nanny the entire time. Mm. And I felt Why so betrayed. <laughs> because she had like, she went right back to work and she was doing all these things. And she like, she was, you know... And I was like, how is she doing all these things when I could barely walk at five yeah. weeks? And she, you know, and she was like, guys, I just want you all to know I've had a nanny this entire time. Mm. I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for telling us now. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's absolutely mm. true that you, you know, if we're not more transparent about the realities of our day to day, that people start to assume that you should have it more together than you do. Right. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as an older mom, my parents are older, my partner's parents are older and we don't have that, you know, kind of community of childcare around us as a result. And I just assumed everybody was doing everything on their own much better than I was. And that was mm. not at all the case. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, Why can't yeah. I write with a baby strapped to me? I am so good. You know? <laughs> The only thing I could do, I remember when I was nursing and Oscar was little, I was in actually final edits for the better mother, uh, funnily enough. And he was like six weeks old. And the only thing I could do while I was nursing him was watch this terrible reality show called Man Tracker, where like someone would, they'd drop a contestant in the middle of a wooded area and they'd have to elude like a bounty hunter. Anyway, it was like, <laughs> and that's all I watched. Sounds like, very man. entertaining to me. It was like his biggest. It was his biggest feat of the day. Whatever Mad Tracker was on, so I was like, "Great, he, I get to feed and watch Mad Tracker." That's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted. I think I watched every episode of Bones. Yeah. Like, oh, watched, oh wow! Like with a baby, like just that's hardcore. Um, yeah, I just. I mean, I didn't do anything. I didn't. I and I just want everybody to know. Like, I didn't write anything. I didn't like. I. I remember. I. I got asked to do um, to judge a literary contest and I asked my agent, I was like, do you think that I'll be able to judge this literary con contest? Like in the first month of having <laughs> a baby. And I remember her, her reaction was like, I'll never forget it. She was like, well, maybe like it was really <laughs> like the whole body just shrunk. 
Yeah. And, and she was like trying to be supportive, but also kind of like, no. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, that's what I, I, what I did for like the first year was I read. Right. So I, you know, I, I did a lot of editing. I did a lot of um, reading of manuscripts. I did a lot of, you know, that kind of thing because I could do it in 45 minute increments while my daughter slept but I wasn't writing anything of any value except like notes on my phone, which mm. are funny to read now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when did the, the writing guilt start to kick in? Because you both talk about that too. I mean, we talk a lot about mom's guilt, writing guilt, something I never heard of till you two talk about it. I did not start writing again till my son was two, around two years old. And, um, so I was in final edits for one of my novels and that was done by the time he was about four or five months old. Still don't know. I, the only reason, by the way, I full disclosure, the only reason I got those done is because my niece who was 14 at the time and, um, it was summertime. She came over every day and helped me and bless her heart. I know. And I like, I don't (laughs) even remember if I paid her. I have no memory of this time. I, I, I probably did, but I don't know. It wasn't much. She was only 14 anyway. So, and then I didn't write again for two years. Not a, not a word, not a word. <laughs> see, and you can see why Jen was very reassuring to me at the time, right? Because I was like, why am I not on mat leave writing a great novel? And she was like, no, <laughs> no. Um, and I, I mean, I think what, what happened to me was I, you know, because I was before I had my daughter, I was, um, you know, working in journalism and I, um, you know, I did a magazine piece. I did a couple of magazine pieces but I, it, even that was just like, I, I did this piece for, I went to a cottage, I did it for cottage life. And I, I went to like cottage country and wrote a piece about a baseball tournament they had in cottage country. Mm. And it I just want to say that, and I think I said this to you at some point, cottage life is the most understanding, accommodating, wonderful magazine. <laughs> because I was like, I have a tiny baby and this, I, I mean, I think she was... I don't even think she was tiny, but in my mind, she's always tiny. I think she was like over just over a year. And it was the first time I'd ever been away from her. And I was very transparent with the editor about it and the publisher. And they were like, we want to make this as comfortable for you as possible. And so I went into cottage Mm. country and this family gave me their lake house and I slept alone for the first time. And like, and it was on the lake. So there's like lapping waves. And I was like, it was the first time I was like free. Right. And I could actually write. And, and I remember how unbelievably like blessed I felt for that experience and how so much of it had to do with the publication that accommodated me and reassured me and was understanding from the start that I had a small child and I needed help. And they got me a ride out there. They were, you know, it was just amazing. Mm. <laughs> so like, I'm, I don't work for them or anything. I'm just like totally plucking them. We're but... selling subscriptions to Cottage Life. Go to our <laughs> my Instagram later. Dear Seeker Sponsor, I... bye. <laughs> but I feel like I got my footing then because I, I got some confidence then. And then shortly mm. thereafter, I started writing creatively again. And I started writing. And I remember I was on a walk and I like text Jen and I said, yeah. It came back. And she was like, yeah, I told you it would. <laughs> oh, so that was the moment that you came back to you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I felt like, I mean, it's still coming back, but it's coming back very differently. I don't know if Jen, you had that experience, but when it started to come back, it was different. 
Yeah, I think there's a market difference in my writing from before to after my son was born. I think there is a different, I'm much more able to go to the dark side now. I don't know. It's all those dark nights feeding a baby or something. But I think, I also think actually there's a lot of anxiety with, uh, especially with new moms about um, the safety and security of their children and your, your brains can often go to very dark thoughts. And I think that Mm. that's part of the reason I wrote the conjoined, which is what I started writing when Oscar was two. And um, there's the writing is very different. I think that I was much less able to sustain like, a real novel with like a plot and like, and like backstory and like all of those things. And then things were coming to me in more episodic ways. Things were coming to me in more like emotional and like image based ways, which was new ish. And I, it, it's an interesting thing. Like, and I don't think, and I think my writing has definitely gotten better. I like absolutely a hundred percent and all that other stuff that I was talking about plot and setting and the, or not setting about plot and all that other novely stuff did is actually coming back to me maybe only in the last two years or so, because he mm. really doesn't talk to me much <laughs> anymore. <laughs> he does a little. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But yeah, he's, you know, he has his own life and his own friends and stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions. And uh, Jen just answered it. So I'm going to pass the mic to Stacy. So I wonder how is it been becoming a mother uh, kind of like change your style of writing or your approach writing away? This is such a great question because I was actually, while Jem was talking, I was thinking about it. <laughs> so, um, she yeah, wanted no, to answer the question I didn't even ask yet. <laughs> um, I, I had this experience that, and me and Jen have had these conversations about messiness quite a bit in mm. promoting this book and how I felt like when I started writing again, that I was too tied to perfection, um, that I had been too tied to perfection. And that might have something to do with the type of writing I was doing. I was doing a lot of writing for the Globe and Mail. I was doing a lot of more, you know, critical writing. And, um, and I sort of made this decision, I was just going to open a Word document and just write whatever was going on in my brain. And I mean, I know that sounds, sounds a little silly, but I mean, I just, you know, wrote in the small pockets of time I had, and I wrote whatever I wanted to, instead of having this sort of critic on my shoulder being like, it's not clean enough, it's not polished enough. And eventually, it became an essay collection, you know, and eventually, I edited it. And eventually, it had a point, right? It it just became... um, I mean, there's so many cliches to go to go with this, like trusting the process, (laughs) and letting yourself go. But I, I mean, I do think that Motherhood is such an experience of surrender. That was sort of my my greatest, if I could use one word to describe motherhood, mm-hmm. it was letting go of control of so many things and how that does not necessarily mean that chaos will erupt. There are definitely times of chaos, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, but um, that chaos is not necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, as somebody who's dealt with anxiety their entire life and somebody who copes with said anxiety by being very controlling about things, um, that was such a monumental life lesson. And also I feel like my writing was in need of that shift. It was in need of a sort of embracing of messiness that had not come prior to her being born. Hmm. What about you, Jen? What, what was the most difficult for you to embrace um, motherhood and creativity? Um, I think that 
before Oscar was born, I was pretty much writing full time, which seems like a dream now. But I was, I would sit there <laughs> literally every day at like office hours and write. And with the exception of- You mean like work, uh, writing full time uh, financially or also for practice and for joy as well? Yeah, both financially. And I was also, see, see, this is full disclosure. I was married to a lawyer before. So we had some cash. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> See, this is good. We need to be transparent about our lives. Gotta be transparent about it, and um, that was so. That was why I was able to do that. Like as soon as I started getting even a little bit of income, it was possible for me to do that. So it was a real dream, and um, I would sit there. I mean, the, the writing was the dream. The marriage, not so much. But I would sit there <laughs> and uh, bless his heart. He's a very good co-parent. Uh, we are like Bert and Ernie now, and that's the way I like it. So. Um, we, like, I would sit there like office hours, nine to five, right. With the exception of taking my dog out for a walk in the middle of the day. And I would do this writing and this is how I wrote those first couple of books. And when Oscar was born, oh, I really missed it. I I still miss it. I don't really, I mean, I do it now to a certain extent, except I have like a day job and, um, you know, on the days when I'm not working at my day job and Oscar goes to school, I get to actually sit there and write for more or less a whole office day. Um, but at the very beginning, I just really missed it because it was so quiet and like nobody bugged me and like I could just do stuff. And I remember I I remember sitting there during a writing day back in the day and looking at a blank Word document and just thinking, like, who does that? <laughs> who has like outlines. Yeah. Let's do an outline. I'll do just, things on index cards. <laughs> I just I'm just gonna think about this for an hour. Like what? <laughs> I miss that. I still miss that. I don't do that anymore either. So yeah. That's yeah so and I, I mean, I had, I, I had like, I was writing about sports, so I was going to sporting events and I was in the clubhouse, you know, and I was like doing that kind of work. And then it, I was so sure I was like, yeah, I'm going to have a baby. And then I'm going to take the baby to the baseball games and keep working, which is <laughs> bananas to me that I even thought that that and I know there are people who do it and bless them you know but I am not that person I and I don't know why I tried to believe that I was that person and then punished myself so much for not being that person um so I mean I think there's an element of you know you have to say no to things that is really hard because logistically they're just not possible and, you know, you have these, I, I would be going out and I would not want to be wherever I was. I'd want to be home. And I, I'm like, why am I like this? <laughs> why am I not? You know, I, I mean, I don't know if the experience was the same for you, but I, you know, I have these distinct memories of going out and being in the same environments that I was, the same literary environments I was before yeah. and not wanting to be there. Sounds I think, terribly I think that's but. No, but I think that that's one of the things that yeah. has... It's been a real gift being a mom because it's allowed me to understand that there are things that I maybe didn't always, and maybe I like them okay. But then after I became a mom, I'm like, oh no, I really don't enjoy this anymore. And oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. So, and it gives you I'm an like nodding, like, of yeah. <laughs> but I remember I went to this, uh, the, the Vancouver Writers Fest here, they do this big party and, and I would go every year, you know, prior to Oscar being born. And I didn't go for I think one year when he was little. And then I went the year he turned two. And I remember um, everything about my body was changing. Like I had stopped nursing. So everything was changing. You know, my hair is 
thin, like, you know, and I remember I just didn't feel good. So I went and I wore this giant dress that looked like a potato. And it was like the color of a, like a russet potato. And I, I had my glasses on, I didn't even bother like trying to do eye makeup. I had like whatever. And I just had the worst time. Like I just, I'm sure I, I, who's that potato over there? Oh, it's Jen. Um, and it was just <laughs> my favorite was, potato. Yeah, she's very nice. She's sitting there <laughs> eating that tray of curly fries and enjoying it. But I, I, you know, I had the worst time and it wasn't fun and I couldn't, you know, I had a little wine, but even then, and I still had to be home because I knew I had to get up at six in the morning, you know, with my kid mm. and all that. And, and I thought, you know, and since that time, I only go to these things now if I really feel like it. Cause most of the time I don't. Yeah. Really I, I totally, I absolutely mm-hmm. agree that it makes you really good at boundaries. Like it makes you very, um, you know, I did, I did before she was born, I did a lot of radio and I did a lot of unpaid radio. Mm-hmm. And then when she was born, I was like, well, if I'm going to go, you should pay me. And they don't <laughs> like, really? they call you and they're, they call you and they say, can you come and be an expert about this thing? Mm-hmm. Because it's in your best interest to promote your brand slash book slash personhood. I don't know. And then you, you, you know, after a certain point, you're like, well, why am I doing this? And yeah. then you question. And yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's sort of, it, it made me better at prioritizing things instead of just doing all the things because I was supposed to do all the things. Mm-hmm. And what other things are kind of uh, turned out to be a surprise to you, both um, since becoming a mother or Julian, the, the process? Um, you know, what's a surprise to me, and now because my son is older and I can say this, is how interested my child is in my work, which I didn't expect. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think it would be anything he'd care about. But like, Did I you just, like massage the idea into him or? <laughs> no. <laughs> So the thing is about our house is that there's books everywhere, kids' books, all kinds of books. People send me books. I buy books. They're just, we're just full of books. I don't collect anything else, just books. And um, books are always available to him and he likes books. And I remember uh, one day he did like some, you know, at school, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, and um, like, it, and then he had to write a thing. Like he must've been about grade two or three. And it was, you know, what does my dad do for a living? What does my mom do for a living? And what do I want to do for a living? And he did not choose lawyer. He chose author. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yes. You he, must um, be proud. <laughs> I was so proud. And then a few years ago, he started writing novels, novels. They're very short, but he started writing like graphic novels. And um, he's written, I don't even know how many now, at, like 50. Wow. And it's just, it's so lovely to me that he cares like and he always knows what book is coming out he you know I he wants me to show him the cover designs and he like will tell his teachers that I wrote this book and he's like and this is something relatively that happens later in the game and but it was a huge surprise to me that this would occur he shows almost no interest in law which I love (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting yeah what about you Stacey I, I mean, I often have these moments where I want to go back in time and be nicer to all of the mothers I ever worked with. You know, <laughs> I remember like I worked at a magazine, you know, some years ago. And I remember I've always, this is so embarrassing, but I'm going to say it. I used to be like, why do all the moms get to go home early and come in late? <laughs> like, and, and I was, you know, I, I felt like, well, the people who don't have kids have to do so much more work. 
my god i'm you know, sorry and, i don't like that version of stacy <laughs> yeah no I, I, i'm not a fan and it's just amazing like now i i just i mean to my credit i was like in my late 20s it wasn't like i was you know but anyway <laughs> i just had no idea the sheer amount of effort that goes into every single day from you know like in my case, sometimes five thirty in the morning till nine at night, right? It's just and and it's to me, it's just unbelievable that I'm still functioning on any given day. And for me to have been a person who who was like, "How come they get to go home early?" It's just so embarrassing. <laughs> just I so love absolute. that voice that you're doing, imitating your former self. You yeah, sound like, my, you sound like a Kardashian. Self. You sound like Kim Kardashian or like Courtney Kardashian. Well, I don't like, know why all the people have to go home early. <laughs> It's it's also sort of like from an era when we were so all about overwork. Yeah. Right? That that like you know it was hustle. like some sort of yeah. Right. And it was some sort of badge of honor that we were all staying in the office till seven, eight at night. And then if you weren't, you you know, you somehow were not devoted, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that i I also I mean Becoming a mother opens up almost this whole, and I mean, this goes back to the book, it opens with this whole secret world that you didn't know was happening because you were sort of oblivious to it, right? You were just like, you know, you were staying out until one in the morning. Like the idea of staying out until one in the morning now to me is just unbelievable. <laughs> I'm so tired by 9, 9 p.m. So. <laughs> um, but the things that happen at 6 a.m. Like <laughs> I mean, I like I wrote a draft of a novel at 6 a.m. every day, right? And before I was like, there's no way that would ever happen, you know, but now it's it, it the things that become possible. That's <laughs> just mm-hmm. such a weird way to look at it. But I yeah, I, I feel like they're there's this weird wall between people who have children and people who do not have children. And I don't know why that is. Like, it's like, we can't see past this wall into other people's life experiences. And I think part of the reason this book exists is to sort of open up a door so we can see what the reality is for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I really hope people who are not mom or not parents get to read this book as well. And even as a mom myself, reading this book, the stories in the book is so diverse. Um, you know, many of the stories, even though are written by moms, I couldn't actually understand till I, after I finished the, the, the essay, because the, the experience where we experience as mothers are so diverse and they also, also mutually, um, universal as well. So it's like a very interesting kind of like, negotiation or dance because at one at one level we all share very similar experiences and on the other level that all the experiences are so different um so i wonder going back to this book is there one particular story that kind of stood out to you um personally that kind of like you know hit home or something that make you feel like something about that essay really did something to you? I mean, they're all really beautiful, of course, but personally speaking. I have a copy of it here so I can look mm. at the list to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Like, I, there's a, there's a, there's a few of them that I connect to very personally. I think that Yonita Kirtan's essay about being a single mom and like, um, having to deal with, you know, 
um, having a lower income and um, sort of um, abusive relationships and all of that, that was really affecting for me, not because I necessarily share those things, although part of, parts of them I do. Um, I was, as a child, we grew up with not a lot of money. My mom was a single mom. My dad died when I was 12. She had five daughters. Imagine, <laughs> imagine that circumstance. Wow. But um, so a lot of that, and Yonina is, um, you know, she's, she's, uh, her, her child is an adult now. And so I see a lot of my mom in so much of that. And I, and, and that affects me quite a bit. And then also um, Adele Purdom's essay about um, her daughter um, who has, um, who uh, is developmentally disabled and reading that I worked in social service for a really long time, supporting families who um, had children with special needs and that we would often get one of my jobs was to try to get some of our parents to write and to publish them in our new magazine. And, um, and that really oh, wow. reminded me of that time in my life and how one of the things I would say, I love that job actually. It was a really great job. And I would come home and, and, you know, just think that these, these parents who are found themselves in the situation where they're, where they're on a really challenging parenthood journey, um, are still managing to write this, this, this article that I want them to write for the magazine are still managing to provide like peer support for their, for the other parents. And I, I often, like I read this essay by Adele and I think that there's so much of that energy in that particular essay about showing your hand to other parents so that they also feel supported and protected. So those two for me anyway, mm-hmm. there's other ones that are just funny. <laughs> we could talk about that too. <laughs> Which ones are really funny to you? I mean, like some of them. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually think uh, Heather O'Neill's is really funny because she literally changes into a business suit in a phone booth. I mean, come on. That's like, <laughs> yeah. That is like Superman slash super mom. I hate the term super mom, but really. True. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Stacy, what about you? Yeah, I mean, this is a super hard question because yeah, they're I'm all very. Great. I'm very emotional about many of these pieces. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot about um, Harriet Alita Lai's Binaries essay, where sort of the crux of the essay is she she signs a contract for a book she's already she's always wanted to write, and then finds out she's pregnant after being told she'll never be able to get pregnant, and she gets very upset because she doesn't feel like she will be able to have both. And there's sort of this like anxiety that she has about, will she lose one or the other because she's shouldn't be allowed to have both. And I, Mm. I, as somebody who went through infertility, I identified it really strongly with that, with that idea that, and somebody who has anxiety too, right? Like it's always this sort of catastrophizing worst case scenario. Like, well, there's no way I can have a book and a baby. Right? <laughs> it's like, I, I, um, but the one that I, I keep going back to is um, Alison Pick's essay. There's a line, Alison, Alison, I've known Alison for a very long time. And she, it was very interesting editing her essay because she has a very successful, illustrious career And the piece is all about the anxieties of her career and how she feels split down the middle between her career and her child. And there's a line in it that I keep going back to um, where she's at a retreat, a very prestigious retreat, and she's giving advice to a, um, I think she's an actress who um, is like, should I have kids? 
And so the advice she gives um, that if she was drawn to the idea, even remotely, the love for one's child is something I would not want her to miss out on. And that paradoxically having a child takes the pressure off art in a way that is healthy and helpful. When my career takes an unhappy turn now, as all careers do, it is so good to have something else I am equally or more passionate about. Yeah. And I feel like every time I'm having this moment where I feel like I'm not doing enough. And I mean, after two years of a pandemic, you really feel like you're not doing enough. You're not where you're supposed to be. I always go back to this line because it just sort of reassures me in thinking about it's not healthy to be obsessed with your art or your career, right? It's, it's good to care about things in equal measure. So I, I, that, I feel like that to me personally, that essay just sort of, of all the things I knew about Allison's career and then to read this vulnerability just made, was so reassuring and offered so much solace. And I was just really grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. Um, I want to kind of switch gear a little bit to talk about the title, Good, uh, Good Mom on Paper. Um, who came up with it and then why this name? Cause, and what does good mom to you, <clears throat> each of you? Stacey mean May to again you? Yeah. Is, the, is the puppeteer here. Hold on. <laughs> I, I, want to, I want to tell this story briefly because um, I have a friend, Lindsay Zierbogel, who's also an author. She wrote um, her debut novel came out last year. Um, and she is a lovely human being and she sort of made friends with me when I was postpartum. She was like, I'm your friend now. I'm going to help you. And she like put stuff in my mailbox and like left hand me downs on my porch and was incredible in every way. I wish and I had a friend like that. <laughs> she, she just sort of like wormed her way into my life in this like really fantastic way. But she, um, she's like the kind of mom that um, makes superhero capes for the neighborhood kids and she like Mm. once baked a cake on a barbecue because like the electric was out and she like she's so good at being a mom and I'd always had this view of her like oh god she's insufferably good at being a mom (laughs) and then I learned that she's actually like a like a potty mouth kind of like like gossipy fun like she likes cocktail hours she's not like she's not that perfect mom that I thought she was like, she's just a really cool person. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm telling the story. So one day I was like, Oh, Lindsay, you're such a good mom on paper. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I mean that in the best way possible. And then I was like, man, that's such a, that's like sort of what we're all striving for is this. We look like good moms. Right. And we do it's, it's gotten to the point where we sort of like have lost the definition of what a good mom really is. Because does the good mom, you know, make capes for all the neighborhood superhero capes for all the neighborhood children and like hand embroidered merit badges or, or, you know, is the good mom just the person who shows up? Right. And I think that's where this sort of idea for the title came from. And then it's also super punny. Who doesn't love a pun? Um, I hope Lindsay doesn't mind that I just, I just, uh, but she, yeah, she was in some ways, she was like an inspiration to me because she was, you know, carving out every available moment she could to write uh, and, you know, struggling through that. And it was just like such an inspiration to watch and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jen, maybe you can, uh, can share that, um, the story of how you and Stacey met, because I don't think we ever talk about that. And also, there's a thread of you two 
as we as you guys also talk about, this is not the first essay you both edited together. So there's a thread there. You know, what kind of chemistry that kind of keep bringing you two back to collaborate and do something together? Well, Stacy means an Aries, and I'm a Leo, so we're a match made in heaven. This is part of it. This is an astro- <laughs> astrological issue. But uh, we met because I believe. Stacey May was writing a review for the Globe Mail of my novel, The Conjoint. We had never met. Um, and Stacey May wanted to reach out to me, but she couldn't for journalistic standards. <laughs> and, and, but we have a friend in common. Um, and uh, she hooked us up, didn't she? Or something? Did Chelsea Rooney hook us up? Oh, that's possible. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's totally possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think yeah. she did. The author, Chelsea Rooney. And... Um, yeah, and then I remember the first telephone conversation I had with Stacey May, I honestly couldn't even tell you what that phone conversation was about, uh, was that she said to me, I asked Chelsea what you were like, and, Chel- <laughs> and Chelsea said that, I, that said that you were shockingly beautiful, and I said, excuse me, <laughs> Is Stacy May courting me now? Like I was like, what is it? It was kind of a like I want to be your friend scenario. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd been I'd been asked to edit a book, and I wanted to work with Jen on it. So I was like a bit. I mean, I I Lindsay's ear vocaled her. I was kind of like, I'm your friend now. <laughs> no, but it was and, really it was really lovely. I, I, I should say that I'm glad Stacy May did that because when we did. There was no one else I would rather do these anthologies with. Truly, we work really well together. We respect each other's boundaries always. And like what we, I think we said this in an interview we did before for Good Mom on Paper is that with this number of writers, this is 20, and they're all moms and they're all busy, is that we did, a, I think, a great job respecting their boundaries and their timing. And yet the book still got done on time. Amazing. Capitalism lies to us. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back a little bit back about the shockingly beautiful. Why? Why shockingly? Because it sounds like there was like expectation that wasn't the case beforehand. Yeah, why was I, it shocking? I'm curious. I don't know. It wasn't my words. It was just ask Chelsea. Bring Chelsea on the show. Ask her. Um, I yeah. I, I mean, I think the thing, and and I, we've talked about this since, but the conjoined is um is a very it's a it's a spooky book, right? Oh. And I uh, spooky. That's like I just love saying spooky. But just, <laughs> um, and I I really like love Jen's um, penchant for darkness, and you know you have a love of horror, and you have a love of thrillers, and um, I lean that way too. And you know you also don't take yourself too seriously, which is Ugh. amazing. Like I just too can't. seriously or <laughs> seriously at all. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, just, like, you're just, um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and I, like, as I've said 17 times in, in this conversation, I am anxious and I feel like Jen is very forthright and not like, and that is very helpful for anxious people. <laughs> Jen doesn't send me text messages like, we need to talk later. <laughs> no, I would never. Oh my God. What a horrible thing to do to somebody. I would never do that. Um, I just, I, I, it's so like, it's just easygoing and we have dealt with and edited and, you know, discussed and talked about very serious, very difficult issues. And, um, it's very, it's very hard to find people to work with where that is, 
you know, when you're dealing directly with trauma, um, my dog is coming into the room. Yeah, I can hear the. Hi, <laughs> Shelby. Hi, Shelby. Oh, my God. Um, Cue Husky. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, to work on such pieces that deal with trauma and to work with somebody who understands, um, you know, the 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 world you have to create around that to be able to get that work done is really important. Mm-hmm. I should, hi, Shelby. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Actually, I do think that like writing about writing about or thinking about trauma in a creative way is, I think, a real trial by fire for any friendship, quite honestly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it works like, you know, we love each other very much. So, you know, it worked for us. I don't know that I'd recommend it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was the process like um, for two editors working together where you one person kind of go over one round of edits and then the other kind of go on the second round or you kind of take on a divide and conquer, take on different essays and then kind of you know, the um, other, take on the other half or something like that. I think we always split up the essays for both anthologies. And, and I think that there were some essays that were more obviously um, appropriate for Stacey me to edit. And there were some that were more obviously appropriate for me to edit. Um, and that what do you actually mean by that? How so? Well, like if you had, like, I remember, for example, in whatever gets you through, we had an essay by Juliana Kopitek, which was almost like 75% poetry. Um, mm. obvi- and so I write poetry, so that was easy enough for me to take on. Not easy, but it was like, it was one of the things that, that, that I took on. And I think that, you know, um, for some of these essays in like, you know, I, I also think about like culturally appropriate too, it was important for me to edit Kellyanne's um, essay because I feel like she and I come from very similar backgrounds and, um, yeah, and we did it that way. And, and I think it, it works, it works pretty well, I think. Um, and then we switch, like we sometimes will read them later when they're ready for copy edit, just to have one more set of eyes on them. Like Stacey May will read the ones that I edited and I'll read the ones that she edited, but generally we don't change much, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Have I? No, 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 it's, it's, um, I'm just worried my dog's going to start wandering around. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm giving ear scratches as we, as we have this coverage. Yeah. And I mean, some of the writers that we had, we've already had working relationships with. And um, also there's writers that, you know, one of us really wanted to work with because we've never worked with said writer before. So, you know, it's, it, there wasn't really any set plan to it. It's funny when we, we have these conversations, it's like, I'll do this one and you do this one and I'll do this one. And it just all works out. Yeah. No, we mm-hmm. never fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't. We don't. It sounds like a very organic relationship for sure, and collaboration. Yeah. So if if anybody wants to offer us another deal, we're you know open to that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The topic. The topic has to be interesting, though. Otherwise, we're not doing it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I, and then another question I wonder is uh, why divide it or kind of like package them into four different themes or categories: time, body, space, and self. Because I mean, like. There are, for obvious reasons, are the things that kind of mothers, you know, against, fight against, or even have to, you know, come find themselves uh, on a daily basis um, with within those four things. Um, but I also see like essays in one particular category would actually have the four themes throughout as well. So I wonder why why four categories and how did that structure that way? That's the one That's thing that was my Jen. idea. That was all the one Jen. thing that was my idea. <laughs> Tell me more. 
<laughs> oh, well, as an editor, I really love splitting things into parts or putting in editorial breaks. I feel like it's the easiest fix for all things. Um, and But when I was looking at the essays and looking at the table of contents, because like, I think Stacey May and I were talking about the order that each essay, like how the essays would go. And then when I was looking at them as a block, I thought, no, but we have like distinct parts. And, and, then, I, and then I named them. And then Stacey May said, okay, <laughs> that looks good. Yeah. Yeah. How many submissions did you two receive originally? Wasn't it like 300? It was, yeah, it was over 250. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite a few. And I mean, it was really, I like, I've, I've wanted to say this out loud for a long time. Um, You know, it, there was a very long shortlist, right? There was a very long list of essays that we really loved And in the end, it was not about, you know, this is the best essay and this is the second best essay. It was more, this is a, these are how these book, these essays fit together in a book. Right. And um, we've got, we, there's so many beautiful essays that I hope found. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Um, Because it was just such, I mean, it felt like such a gift to read all of these experiences and all these stories. Um, yeah, it, it, it was overwhelming. It, it was very clear to us from the beginning that this was something that was necessary, that people responded to so strongly because it needed to be in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why do you think particularly right now um, in the, the climate we're, we're in, not necessarily because the, the personal frustration from you both, the editors and the writers, but also in a larger sense, like why, why right now this book? Um, we started developing this book right at the very beginning of the pandemic and we, we didn't have any idea how that was going to play out. Um, Mm. but as it turns out over these last couple of years, and as we've seen, certainly, you know, written about many times is that, uh, mothers, um, had a really challenging couple of years during this pandemic. And I think that that's part of the reason Good Mom on Paper is hitting a nerve the way that I think that it is. Um, Mm -hmm. but I would also say like, in general, I think that the discussion about women's, uh, lives and not just mothers, but women's lives in general, um, and the continual dismantling of the patriarchy, uh, is something that makes this particular book quite unique and of its time. Because, you know, when we did whatever gets you through, um, during the development of that, um, the Me Too movement started really picking up steam. And then I think with Good Mom on Paper, again, with the development on that, we started talking about motherhood because it was so obvious to us that motherhood became a whole, had always been um, more work or more more difficult than it has to be, that the systems were not there to support mothers to do the things that they need to do. And it was so obvious during the pandemic. So I guess, you know, Stacey May and I have some kind of prescient radar for like, What's going to happen while we're developing a book? I don't know. That's not really an answer. I don't know, Stacey May. What do you think? <laughs> mm-hmm. And just before Stacey May actually continue, I, I have to apologize because I just realized the whole in- interview. I I say your name wrong. I just say Stacey. Is it Stacey? Oh no, May? you can say you can say whatever you want. No, it's fine. Either way, it's totally fine. Um, yeah, I mean, the pandemic is is the obvious. I mean, it's really sort of when I talked about that wall, it's, you know, it's lifted it, right? Like, I mean, my daughter was home for seven months straight, right? While I was working full time, and my partner was working full time. And 
Um, you know, she was on many a Zoom call. I remember she came out in a tutu and was crying because she wanted a juice box. And I'm like trying to be as professional as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, I it's and I don't really understand why we hid that part of our lives for so long, why we were, you know, there's a line in the introduction where we sort of say, you know, you have to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, And part of that has to do with like not being difficult and this professional Mm. request to just not be, you know, because we live in this culture, especially writing where it's, you know, there's always somebody behind you who's going to take the opportunity. That's what they tell us, right? That's how we're made to feel. So Mm -hmm. you don't want to be the difficult one who needs another time because of a daycare pickup or because, you know, you have to go to a dance recital or whatever you have to do. Right. And I've, I've actually found that in the last, you know, however many months people have become so much more accommodating. It's, it's actually wonderful. If you know, the, the fact that we had a conversation about launching this book at, on a Saturday at four in the afternoon, because it's not nap time and it's not dinner time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's that those sorts of conversations that they seem minor, but they're so important because you're excluding such a huge swath of people. Um, you know, I like I had a conversation the other day where somebody was like, yeah, the meetings at five thirty and every parent on the call was like, no, <laughs> no. You know, it's, I I mean, I do, I do think that that's one positive thing that we can, we can hold on to is this idea that we're, we're, we can't hide it anymore because, you know, I'm in my kitchen right now, right? Like this is, this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I think this is my last question, but I, 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 I actually didn't write that question on my my list, but it just came to me about friendship, I guess. Um, Have you made any friends, like true friends, since you become a mother who are not mothers or parents? I have. Okay, tell me more, because I want to know personally, (laughs) actually. (laughs) I've been having trouble to do that, very struggling. You know what, though? I think a lot of it is... um, you know, my experience may be a little bit different, but when uh, my marriage ended, I was really looking for people to hang out with. And, um, and how old were your son when were, your marriage ended? He was four and a half. And okay. um, so there would be times when he'd be with his dad. And I, you know, typically if he was with his dad, I, uh, my friends who were, who were moms had their children right? Like I couldn't go out with them or hang out with them. So I ended up hanging out with a lot of people who didn't have children. And that was kind of like, but that's really good too, because I think that we talk about this like barrier between people who have children and people who don't. And I think that I've had the opportunity to have some really honest conversations with child free people about, you know, the choices they've made or the circumstances that have brought them there. And then also about the choices I've made and the circumstances that have brought me here. And I think that um, it's a really, it, it, it's good to have those conversations because I think people with children, and I know this because I think it are always like, they don't know, they don't know how much work I do. And then like people who are child free are like, look at all this slack I'm picking up because you're not doing all this other stuff. And you then- didn't do the voice. You have to do the voice. Oh. Um, why, why are you leaving early? <laughs> why do you have to leave early? Uh, anyway, and, and I think that I I did an interview for CBC radio and they, you know, asked me what advice I would give to a woman who is like considering having children if she's got a creative life. And I always say like my, my wish for women is not that they make these decisions because of systemic inequities, 
or because of financial reasons or any other those types of reasons. I would wish that every woman gets to make the decision, the right decision for her here where she wants to feel it. And I know that's not possible and it's not realistic, but that's how I feel about that relationship I have with people who don't have children is that I really see for a lot of them that the wish to not have children is the right one for them here. And then who am I to <laughs> screw that up? <laughs> mm-hmm. But how is that? Like, I, I guess the communication would be the key. Cause I just give an example, like hanging out with my, my friends, um, don't have kids. Um, again, go, go back to the time thing. I will recommend maybe 10 a.m. for lunch, uh, for brunch. I thought that would be very reasonable. And everybody was laughing at me, say, Oh no, 1230 will be the time that for brunch. <laughs> I was like, for brunch? And that's like even late lunch for me. Like, how is that for brunch? Also, so that's nap time. What do you think? Exactly. <laughs> that's. T- is that um, I, you know, I, I will say that my best friend in the entire world is child free. Um, she, she, you know, she's never had an interest in having children. Um, and I actually felt like during my struggle with infertility, she, she was so amazing because she didn't have any sort of personal stake in it. Mm-hmm. It was just all about, you know, it, it was just about me and, I, that sounds bad. It's just, it was just all about me, but <laughs> I just, I, she was so unbelievably supportive and the most amazing thing that's come out of, you know, me having a child is that she is so, my daughter loves her and she has the energy to give her that love. And, and, you know, they have such a wonderful relationship and I, I feel very grateful for the child free people in my life because they, they have been incredibly supportive and amazing. And, you know, exactly what Jen said, it's, you know, I think we're, we're in a time right now where the importance of choice, you know, is it, we need to talk about that constantly. Yeah. And I, you know, and I have never been after going through infertility and having a child and having a difficult birth experience, choice has never been more important to me. It's always been important to me, but I, you know, I would, I would never want anybody to experience what I experienced unless Mm -hmm. they really wanted to be a mother. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that answers your question at all, but. All (laughs) I'm saying is friendships with people who are child-free is totally possible and lovely and gives us. Yeah. And I think it builds a community Mm -hmm. around children. That's really important. I think children need to see all different choices to understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is not the only one for them. I remember one of my best friends, Dina Del Bucchia, who I do the podcast with, um, she and Oscar are very, very close. They, um, and I remember I had to do this like gala cocktail party situation and I had to bring Oscar with me. So it was her job to like entertain him while I was like on the stage. And all I could hear was every time I said anything into a microphone, Oscar and Dina would just start laughing uproariously at me. And I don't know why. I still don't know why. <laughs> and they were just watching around this gala, like looking for snacks. They just kept looking for more snacks. Oh. And I'm like, this is great. It. <laughs> This is my life. But it was really lovely. Like she's, you know, that's what I mean. It can be really lovely and fun. She's just the fun aunt. She mm-hmm. gets just to be a fun aunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do I think know. there's this misconception that people who don't have children don't like children. And yeah. that is mm-hmm. so not accurate, right? They, it's yeah. not at all. Um, you know, I I just think that, you know, part part of the, the mission of this book is to sort of lift that wall and have us all just hang out together. 
and work mm-hmm. together and live together and not have it be like, well, you're a mom now. You should be in this room alone and not tell us what you're experiencing at all ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And also show up for your audio book recording without complaint. <laughs> you can edit a, 300, again. edit a 300 page novel whilst breastfeeding. It's fine. No, yeah. no, no, no. You should lie down is what you should do. <laughs> Well, I think that was a good wrap. Um, I'm going to pause now, but thank you so much both for joining me today for the conversation. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, this was lovely. Yeah. I mean, I guess only that we're so grateful to all the contributors to this book and um, we're grateful for all the attention it's getting and um, that people are talking about it and reading it and presumably Mm -hmm. loving it. Um, There's been some posts on social media about people crying which is always a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get a few copies for my friends because I, I see moms that I think they really All right, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to give us a review or comment, that would be great. If you're interested, sign up to our Substack letter. I will link the link in the show note as well. As always, thank you so much and I will see you next week. Bye.